Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey, you guys. Welcome to Just the Sip. I am your host, Justin Sylvester. If I didn't thank you guys enough for listening and streaming and sharing the episodes during Black Lives Matters, thank you. I appreciate it. It meant a lot. But I also think that it educated other people on what was really going on in our country at this moment. And there's a second wave of it. And I'm not talking about coronavirus. I'm talking about racism. Here to talk to me today and have a conversation about what's going on with Asian Americans right now and the racism they are facing in this country is my friend and co-host, Aaron Lim Rhodes. What's it been like to be on a show I see your personality. I see where you come into it. And only you can make the rundown what it is. So what's it like being on a show that's totally your spirit? Honestly, I feel blessed to have something like that because I think it is easy to try and fit the mold that was given. And it's, you know, a lot of times it's like, I don't know if you felt this, but I struggled for a little while and trying to develop my voice and what is my personality and who am I? And, and even when I appear on different shows, you see a different side of me, but the rundown truly is a, a place that embraces my weirdness that allows me to have inside jokes with the audience. Um, it is so, you know, I'm so self-deprecating that the joke is always me at the butt of it. So it's, it's fun. And it, and it, I have a team of writers and producers who understand and who get me and get it and get this generation that's watching. So I feel so lucky and it's, it's just so fun to do the show. So it's, it's a really fun, cool opportunity. And the fact that we've been doing it for almost five years and it is a ship that sails itself. Like everyone just knows their, their place and, and, and it's just comfortable. It's become family. So I freaking love that team of that show. I wish you guys could see the limtourage is what I call them. <laughs> Erin literally walks off of an elevator and she's holding her her Slurpee like and then there's like two producers, a camera guy. But you know what? It's because I don't even treat them like they're a staff of people that works for me. I literally want to go and get lunch with them. I want to go get coffee. I want to shoot the I want to be of the people like I never want to be on the pedestal like above them because they are working hard to really make me look good on this show and they have my back like we've been through some so I feel like those literally are my homies it's like oh my gosh we get to have lunch now together and I totally (laughs) miss those days (laughs) you know um 
as big of a company as you think E is, and it really is a big company, like the hustle and bustle of it all, people are like moving around, but I'm very lucky that talent gets to all sit together and we all, you know, it gave us a lot of time to get to know one another, I feel like. Mm. For me, one of the greatest reality shows to watch while I was at the office, because I treat all you bitches like a channel, okay? <laughs> and I remember when you got reconnected with Faith, mm. which is a thing that you don't normally hear in Hollywood. Yeah. You know, it's a rarity that people in Hollywood reconnect with their faith. What was that calling for you? Gosh, that calling was me just waking up and crying and feeling lost every day and feeling like I lacked an internal identity. I felt like I, and I think a lot of it had to do with some relationships that I was in where I felt like I was always trying to find a person who was my other half, my better half. And I was coming into that as another half. Therefore, those are two broken people, essentially. Like those are people yeah. who aren't whole in themselves. And I and I really just felt like somewhat lost and and um, just like heartbroken that I, I couldn't really figure out my relationship with my faith. And, um, you know, I grew up Catholic and believing in God and Jesus, but never really knowing that being and really never having a connection. And, you know, my mom has always been a spiritual person and always, always has prayed for us like our entire lives. And, you know, I would, I would see how devoted she was to that and her walk. And, And it was something that I was like, will I ever grow into that? Will I ever have that? And it really is something that you do have to seek on your own. And, you know, I, God really does work in funny ways. Like if I can look at different times in my life where I was coincidentally at one place at the exact time, like to me, like I know that was God literally moving the earth mountains and the ocean. So I can be there at that exact time. And I was literally driving down the street one day, um, you know, Hollywood and La Brea, one of the most popular intersections in Los Angeles driving on by. And I saw this building that didn't look like a church. And I saw these people walking out of it. And I was like, what is going on? Like a lot of young people and someone randomly DM'd me and they just sent me this album. And they're like, you need to listen to this. I'm like, who are you? And I, I listened to this album and it was a Christian worship album. And I've never listened to Christian worship music like that before. And I was like, whoa, this sounds like an indie rock band almost. And I really liked the music. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go to this church. And so I just went one day by myself, sat in the back and I was just so moved by the message. I had never heard God speak to me through another person like that, the the message that the pastor was talking about. And I I was just bawling and I was like, oh my gosh. And, and I, in that moment was like, okay, I need to like dedicate my life to Christ and like figure this out because clearly he's speaking to me. And so I went to this church in and out over the course of a couple years. And I always sat in the back and I never really got to know people and I didn't want to build community there because it was kind of scary. And yeah. And so that was me um, for a couple of years, but really that's how I I got into it. That's amazing. By the way, I know what you guys are thinking out there. This podcast is normally about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. (laughs) No, but sometimes you got to like, you got to trip and fall into these conversations because, you know, for me, it was not 
an option whenever I was living at home. Mm -hmm. So from zero to 16, you were going to church on Sunday and you were sitting with the family and you were wearing what I picked out. And that was how we always rolled. And if you could make it to the club on Saturday, guess what? You can make it to Club Christ on Sunday. And she would say it just like that. Like it, it was like, we didn't even think about it. Yeah. So when I got to college, I found myself doing the same thing, bringing friends along and progressively getting, you know, a little bit lower in my attendance because I started questioning this gayness and this crisis that mm -hmm. I really couldn't wrap my head around. And then I found a church that really made me feel wanted and made me feel like God kind of created me for who I am and you'll figure it out at some point, but God doesn't make mistakes is what I was always told. And it comes back to me. It really does. It comes back to me. Now a bitch gets lost in the jungle every now and then. She always finds her way back <laughs> you know, to water. I always find my way back to water. Exactly. And like, you know, just because I think there is this um, perception like, oh, if you are strong in your faith or connected to Christ, like you think gay people are wrong or gay people are bad or like you can't be friends with or it's I fully do not believe that. And I, you know, one of the the first and main commandments is like love your neighbor how you love yourself. Yeah. And I'll always revert to that. Like Jesus was one to sit at tables with prostitutes and like the, you know, the tax collectors. So it's like He turned out. Yeah. Jesus turned out. He turned out, turned he turned out, out. He water into everyone. wine. Life got exactly. real. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you met at church. I met my man at church. He's a volunteer. And they just asked him, like, can you be the dunker guy? And so he was like, sure. He, he had no idea I was getting baptized that day, I don't think. And so I randomly was in his baptizing dunking line. And literally the beginning of us even knowing each other was him baptizing me, which is pretty epic and special. And I, we didn't date for a long time after that. Two weeks. He had it. He de definitely had a nickname before I knew his name, which was ever. <laughs> tell me, tell me. Worship daddy. Yes. <laughs> he was always that guy who was like in the front, both hands in the air praising. And I've never been attracted to a man, a godly, wholesome man before. But seeing him worship two hands in the air was like, why am I so turned on by this? <laughs> And by the way, look, I'm telling you right now, I live for a God-fearing man. Like, mm. I'll take any priority over a man who's scared of the Lord. I don't know why. Like, Travis Barker, you know I like my men clean cut. You know I like a man who looks like he might, you know, do a white-collar crime uh -huh. or went to jail with Bernie Madoff. But yep. that tattoo dude is so hot to me because I know that he's afraid of a higher power. So mm -hmm. he might think about, you know, backhanding me, but he wouldn't do it because he was scared of the Lord. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like there is that. Something, there's something very sexy about it. And I feel like this is the only relationship I've been in where it's uh, where faith has been at the center of it. And I've, I feel so blessed and lucky to have a man that knows how to spiritually lead us. When I need someone to pray for me, I know he's going to go to bat when I'm in spiritual warfare or, yeah, I don't know. There's just something about it where um, him wrapped up in his own convictions and loving the Lord the way he does is just, I know he won't do wrong by me. I know there's been a lot of people who are faith-led men who get in some real 
but um, yeah, there's something yeah. about him. That's yeah, special. yeah, yeah. No, we see that all the time. Mm, yeah, we see, we see that all the time. You were one of the brides who were trying to plan a wed- wedding during COVID. What made you decide just to say, F- it, let's just do it now? Because I'm not going to lie. If I had that young Malik Yoba, that man of yours, no, we're going to have 350 people here. We're going to have 350 here because I need y'all all to see what kind of tail I, my ass just pulled. You know what I mean? Like that That's how I think. Yeah. So we also wanted that big wedding, but of course COVID was not slowing down. And during the holidays, we couldn't even see a foreseeable date of when we can be anywhere with anyone. And it was really important for our relationship to solidify our marriage so that we can really just start life together. And I think faith plays a little bit of a role in that. Um, I mean, you know, we were trying to do our relationship the right way where we honored each other's bodies. I thought y'all were crazy. Okay. Anybody who tells me they are not test driving the car before they get into a lifetime lease, I get nervous for. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. So anyway, also we didn't want to move in with each other until we were married. And so it was important for us to to have that marriage, um, to start life and to, to build on it together. And we really wanted to have our families in it with us to make it intimate and special. His dad married us, got ordained in California Aww. just to marry us. And we, in the back of our minds thought, okay, we'll have this ceremony just so we can like get married. Um, yeah. and then we were like, you know, we'll have the big traditional ceremony with all 300 people later down the line. And then after having the wedding, it was so perfect and we did everything our way. It was stress-free. It was beautiful. Uh, it was emotional. It was great. It looked amazing. And after seeing our pictures too, we're like, damn, we don't need to do this all over again. And even looking at venues, like they're still hella expensive. And and it, it honestly, I just don't know what a big wedding is going to look like after this pandemic. So we're like, look, let's just get married. It was perfect how it was we loved everything about it. And in maybe a year's time when everyone's vaccinated and all is safe, we'll do like an anniversary party or a vow renewal party and yeah. it'll be a rager and there will be a DJ and everyone will be there and it'll be food and friends that we love family. It'll be great. What am I doing wrong? I need you I'm... to tell me, because let me tell you something. You're looking yeah. in the wrong places. I went to church. I got a job at E like Morgan Stewart. I was on my space like Carissa. You know, are you still swiping? Yeah, but I'm on. I'm on. Like, <laughs> come on! I got. No I mean, shade I to the swipers, but I think you know what I did. I rearranged the things that were on the the box, the check box. Like, yeah, you know, at first it's like, does he have the job? Does he have the car? Does he have the status? Does he have blah 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 blah? And for me, it was like, does he have a foundation? Has he gone to therapy? Has he like done all of the things that he needed to do? You know, like show me that credit score and show me those therapy receipts. I need to see and show me that insurance deductible to make sure you got your off the chain. Okay, that's what I need to know. Yes, you don't want to be with someone who in a couple of years is going to be like, you know what? I didn't live my best life and I wish I just after a bunch of bees in the club, like I need to live that life now. Like, no, like, please have already done that. Your name came to mind whenever we were talking about who we're going to have on the podcast. 
because a lot of things have been happening and there's a movement um, with the AAPI. Can you explain that movement to me? Well, you've probably seen the hashtags stop AAPI hate, stop Asian hate. Right now we are not too far away from a mass murdering happened, a shooting of six women uh, who are all Asian. And, you know, in the, in the past year with everything that's been happening with COVID, um, there has been an increase in hate crimes against Asians. We've seen over 3,800 at this point in the U.S. And it was somewhat perpetuated or maybe even fully perpetuated by a famous person calling it the Kung flu. And Ugh. it's just so sad that Asians in America or Asians all over the world right now are being, um, they're Target. being, but even though we've been having this recent influx of crimes against Asians, I mean, this dates back for gosh, so many years. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's going back. And I think a lot of people are finally realizing that and reading the history books and, People are having their having their own awakenings and realizing like, oh, I was actually starting to to believe some of the the um, stereotypes that I've been called. When you use stereotypes, what it does is it puts in cis men's minds that Asian women are sex objects, that yeah. Asian trans women are sex objects. And we know yeah. what happens to women who are sex workers. Absolutely. And I think that it's finally time where people are stepping up and saying, I will not do these roles. I will not participate. Uh, these things cannot be written. We can't be the butt of the joke anymore. And we've seen it in media for years and years and years. And unless it is uh, an Asian woman writing this role, like I just don't want to see it anymore. It happens whenever you are a minority in a country, you know, you come here and, you know, 400 years ago, people fought for freedom and then we were fine with what we had. And then all of a sudden there's another awakening and we're fighting for civil rights. And then our ancestors get to the place where they're like, OK, well, we're good with where we are. And then that breaking point comes again. And that was yeah. really what Black Lives Matter was, was all of us waking up and saying, wait, hold on. You got to see, like, you got to pay attention to what's going on. We have to stop this. And I feel like the Asian culture and the Asian community and, you know, Asian Americans are having that awakening right now and are starting to say, okay, we were, we were quiet. We simulated to all this for so long. And now it's time for us to wake up and come together and we need to stop this. Right. And you said a very important thing, assimilated. So when people were allowed to immigrate over to the U.S., they brought in uh, Asians from China and then they started allowing more and more people to come to this country. And Asians were specifically targeted to be the model minority. And there's this model minority myth, but it's also a reality for a lot of us where you had to get good grades, you had to get a good job, make good money. And uh, a lot of people, you know, a lot of Asians strive to achieve all of those things. Um, but it also pitted us against 
um, the black community and other minorities. And it, this myth that was created by white supremacists um, and from the institution was to really be anti-black because when you came to America, you saw how the black community was treated. You saw that they were all the way at the bottom. And when Asians came to this country, they didn't want to be the bottom. And when the, you know, the white institution said, but you are our model minority, then it's like, okay, well, I need to, to not be ostracized or I'm not, I, you know, I, I don't want to be oppressed in that way. So it did create almost like a divide back in the day. And, um, you know, I think a lot of Asians of my parents' generation kind of felt like, well, I am proudly American. I've been given the opportunity to thrive here to success to have achieve success here. I have, um, you know, I've been given these rights, but I think they haven't really deconstructed all of the things that they've been told. Um, You know, they were just kind of cast into this box and it was like, okay, cool. Like I'm set up to do well here. Um, And this is better than what I came from. It was exactly, this is what I would, this is better than the alternative for me. So let me just keep it moving and keep it going. And don't ask questions. And I think that's, yeah, I see a lot of friends like me where their parents didn't ask questions and it was like, all right, we're going to shut up. We're going to do this and we will wave the American flag. Um, And I think they don't really acknowledge the things that are happening against them. And, um, and it's a, it's a sad thing to to know that they're kind of just like turning away from it and not wanting to accept that oh we have been marginalized or there is um there is even hate amongst the asian community because we're it's all just like an umbrella like you're all asian but then there's like so many different types of asian you know so i'm technically bottle of the barrel asian because i'm filipino so therefore it's a lot of other races will look at me as like, oh, well, you're second class, you're blue collar Asian. You're not the smart kind. Which is, I was wondering, I was wondering if that happens in your community, because, you know, if you listen to rap songs, now it's a little bit better for us. But in the black community, if you had darker skin, you were less than those of lighter tones. And if you had kinkier textured hair, you were less than those with what they call silky hair or white girl hair. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting because it was very much so perpetuated in our culture for so many years. And you can hear it in music. You know, I want a red bone. You know, I want a mulatta. I want this. I want a yellow girl. Like it's all of these things. And now you're starting to hear other types of music combating that and celebrating darker tones and celebrating melanin. You know, the last five years, I feel like melanin has been everywhere. Yeah. How is your culture and how is your, you know, race dealing with and almost turning that stereotype on top of its head? Are you guys at that place? Are you still trying to work to get there? I actually see a lot more people wanting to band together and, support one another even if you are from a a different asian race it's like no well we are all being targeted like a racist or a white person doesn't know if you're filipino if you're japanese or if you're chinese or you're korean like it's just like you're asian you're my target and so i think we're all starting to realize like you know even though we are different and that's what makes us so unique and beautiful like we do need to stick together and in a movement such as this but you know i lived in singapore 
six years ago and I was there for two years. And although my last name is Lim, which is Chinese and which is, you know, a superior, superior. Race, they saw me as, okay, so you're Chinese. But if we knew that you're Filipino, then we would look at you as either the cleaning lady, the uh, the babysitter or the gardener. And, you know, if your skin is too dark, then, oh, that means you must work in the fields. Oh. They literally sell face whitening creams in these stores. And that is another form of anti-blackness. And it's it's like saying we want to be like the white people. And, you know, it's just it was such a weird thing to go to a cafe or go to a gym and show them my ID or show them my credit card. And they'd say, Lim, you're not Aaron Lim. You are definitely not Chinese. Oh, my God. And because although you're too I, dark. Because I'm dark, because I don't have strong Asian features. I am half Latina, but you know, I, I'm clearly not Chinese and it's like your limb. And, and so many people would say, Oh, you're, you've stolen someone's credit card. You're stealing someone's Uber. And it was, it was a, a weird form of racism to, to feel like, wait, what? Like I'm was, not enough. And, here? That, and that was probably cause you know, you lived in Singapore for two years. Was that the first time that it was kind of sort of thrown in your face? Yeah, 100%. Because, you know, when you live and grow up in LA, it's such a melting pot and you see so many different um, interracial couples. I mean, I'm a product of an interracial couple. Yeah. There's so many kids I grew up who were like me, different races. And, um, you know, there were times where I I was just kind of comfortable being like the token brown person or the token Asian or the token Latina. Um, But now I'm just not comfortable with anymore i'm not comfortable in my friend group where it's like that or i'm not comfortable in the workspace like on my show when it's not diverse enough or i feel like we're underrepresented or i feel like we're talking about the same stories of of the same people that all look the same like i'm like hey let's change it up like there are different stories that we can tell um sure. I, I think it's so important to have representation in every space and so i think that finally with the black lives matter matter movement that happened over the summer and this um stop asian hate movement that's happening it's not just a hashtag it's a thing where people are really trying to create change and um that is something that definitely energizes me although it's been so heavy and so heartbreaking every step of the way um it's good to know that there are people who have um, become allies and people who Mm -hmm. are getting educated carmax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you because at carmax we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car you should love your car that's why every car we sell is carmax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer so don't settle find love at first drive and start shopping now at carmax.com carmax the way car buying should be let me ask you a question because for you guys who don't know this, Aaron Lim's fine ass man, worship worship daddy is a I big old chocolate. Worship daddy is a big old chocolate black man, honey. And worship daddy <laughs> is Akon. He is Akon Dark. Kevin Hart and he are the same shade of black. Okay, that, that man's black is beautiful. And I'm wondering if what happened this summer with Black Lives Matters and George Floyd and seeing your man go through all those range of emotions, because it's a mind, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
and especially being with somebody who's going through it and not completely understanding that state of mind, did it get you almost prepared for the challenge and the the movement you're about to take on? Absolutely. It did because when all of that happened, it felt so heavy. It felt like, oh my gosh, am I doing enough? Like, am I educated enough? Like, am I supporting you enough? Like, you know, it, it was a lot of, it, a lot of emotions. And I remember like, you know, just even a week into the whole movement after George Floyd's death, um, his murder, I was like, babe, aren't you like exhausted? Like, I know how I'm feeling and I can only imagine how you're feeling. And he's like, babe, this is not a new thing for me. This is not a new thing for my community. This is not a new weight that we're carrying. Like it's actually, it's refreshing to see people outside of my community care. Yes. And I was like, wow. You know, it's like, because you guys have been fighting this fight on your own for so long it's something where it's just become like second nature, sadly, yes. where it's like you guys aren't like, oh, you know, it's it wasn't like it all compounded on you in that moment like it did a lot of people. But it's and also ignored. It's ignored yeah. in the sense that, you know, I watch the news and I read this thing called WeHoVille. Mm-hmm. WeHoVille is like um, the West Hollywood crime, you know, message board where you hear about all of these things. There were trans women who were getting murdered, you know, by the dozens every year, in, even in my own community and people who were getting bashed for being gay, yet it would never make the nightly or daily news. They would rather talk about a man running a Ford into a Dunkin' Donuts, you know, at night as opposed to another trans woman lost her life yesterday. You know what I'm saying? If George Floyd didn't happen, would we honestly know about Breonna Taylor? Would Mm. anyone know who Elijah McClain was? If Jay-Z didn't say anything, would anyone even care who Trayvon Martin was and who George Zimmerman is? Like all of those things to me went unignored. And yeah. it was almost like we were screaming yeah. into a tunnel because nobody would listen. Yet these things were happening time and time again. So Breonna Taylor and George Floyd did not die in vain. Their deaths almost had to happen for us as a society to take a pause and say, okay, what is going on here? Yeah. And I feel like that with this whole thing right now, you know, like, those women, those six women who were murdered did not die in vain. And I, I think it opened a lot of eyes where people were thinking, oh, this Asian hate thing is maybe just like a minor bullying thing. Like no one's actually being attacked. This is not a hate crime. This is not a racially charged crime. And it's like, okay, 100% is. And I think that people on both sides can finally wake up and say, okay, we have a problem here. And with the whole Black Lives Matter thing preparing me for this moment, I think, yeah, it, it just helped me um, know that I'm not alone in this fight. And I've seen so many people, so many people of all different walks of life, all different colors and races come to the forefront to support uh, this movement, to shed light on it. It's, it's amazing. Nice to know that people who don't look like me um, have my back. 
I would go to two marches a day and I would cry every time because to see people who have never felt the way I felt, who have never experienced what George Floyd, Trayvon Martin or Breonna Taylor will ever go through or Elijah McClain, to see those people marching alongside of all of us, that's when I was like, I got to get the out of my house. I'm looking yeah. at Asian and white and children and, 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 you know, all of these different cultures and races that aren't black come together with us. And I'm like, how am I as a black man sitting my ass at home when everybody else is out there for my cause? I will yeah. say, I know you're early in the cause and I know you guys are just starting this fight. The one thing I learned from Black Lives Matters is say their names because the minute you put a name, those people become human. Those mm -hmm. people become real to people. Put a story to those people. Tell me where they went to college. Tell me the last concert that they saw. Tell me what they what they said on their Instagrams during COVID. Those things make a really big difference. And I'm watching the media say six women, six Asian women killed in Atlanta. No, give me names. I yeah. need you guys to say their names. It's the only way we as a community and as a movement got anything done during Black Lives Matters is because you knew George Floyd and you knew Breonna Taylor. If you didn't know Breonna Taylor, you knew somebody who studied like her, who's a paramedic, who had bigger things that they want in their lives, who was yeah. 27, who loved their man. Like you just knew those people. And I think that we should continue to humanize these people that have been attacked and uh I think that the news um, definitely has not done a good job by trying to, you know, sweep that under the carpet. Um, but it is really great to see young activists or just people on their social platforms, anyone of influence, just come out there and, and just speak out on it. You know, like just people that you wouldn't even expect. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's a it's a tragic thing that we have to face. But um to know that we are walking together in this and a lot of people have stepped up is, um, I don't know, it feels really assuring. There's hope. And, you know, I think for you and probably for me, well, you know, I, I went through the welcome to the movement startup course. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, you got to let yourself get uncomfortable. Absolutely. If you don't lose a few friends, you're not screaming loud enough and just Facebook friends. Like, you mm -hmm. got to lose a few Facebook friends, a few Instagram followers. Oh, you know, hundreds of thousands. That. Hundreds of thousands. It, let me tell you something about Black Lives Matters. I had totally talked myself into going on a 90-day social cleanse. Um, I wasn't going to get on social media. I wasn't working on Daily Pop at the time. So I thought, you know what? I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to see it. I'm just going to get off of social media and ride out. Well, the universe was like, well, your ass has to reactivate because we got some shit going on. And I was enjoying a nice Pinot Grigio at my house. And I saw the I saw the helicopters going nuts. And I had to get back on my phone in order to read what was happening because I wasn't watching the news at this point. And I'm very grateful that I got back on that phone. And I'm very grateful that I had those social media platforms to go to, to make sure people did not forget. And every time I did Daily Pop or any other show, I did, you know, Hollywood Live Today, KNBC, I always said her name. 
even if it was, they asked me what color was my shirt, I'd be like, Brianna Taylor, just making sure you guys know. Social media has been used in a powerful way lately, which is really nice to see. And, you know, I, during that whole time, I got low key upset at my friends who weren't saying anything during the Black Lives Matter movement in the summer. Right. I was like, if you're posting anything other than what's important right now, like, I don't know if I can be friends with you. I had to have uncomfortable conversations with friends saying you are out here living your best life on social media and there are important things that need to be said. And I had friends push back and say, I'm not like you. I'm not famous. I'm not an influencer. I don't need to be saying a thing. And I'm like, actually, you have a platform and you speak to your community of people. If they don't know that this is important to you or if they don't see the message that you're putting out there, then they're going to assume that you don't care about it. It's nothing to you. Here was my thing, because I had the same issue with people not posting anything during Black Lives Matter. When I had the conversation with people, after the first two or three conversations, I realized that everyone was afraid to make the mistake of saying something wrong and it coming by to bite their asses because people on social media are always looking for a moment to critique anyone, whether you're famous or you're not famous, whatever it might be. However, if you can't post anything, at least post a hashtag, at least share someone's information that you trust, that you feel like has vetted all of the things that are going on and has a perspective that not only encompasses you, but it encompasses what's going on in the world. Make sure you're having these difficult conversations in your home. And at minimum, just post that you and your family are sitting and having difficult conversations and it is trying, but you are trying your hardest. That's all you need to do. And you put it on your story and let it go 24 hours and tag my ass. So I know you did it. Right. And look, we're not asking for performative activism like that's the furthest thing but we're just asking you to not be sitting around playing cards and showing that you're oblivious to what's happening are saying because a lot of people did this i just don't understand why you guys are doing this like why are you burning down your own city and it's like why aren't you reading a book i will be completely honest with you and I've never said this on any type of interview or anywhere that's recorded, but because we're friends and I feel like this is a safe space, I'll have this conversation. But, you know, I even wrestled with posting the hashtag Black Lives Matter because it became so polarized and it became such a, if you support this movement, then you're anti anything else. And I have family who's in law enforcement and I know that, those who are in law enforcement see that hashtag or that phrase as threatening, or that means you don't support me or you don't love me or you're anti-law enforcement. And yeah. literally it, it did take the, the whole George Floyd um, movement to happen for me to say, I don't care anymore if you're going to see me as anti you, or if it's going to literally forfeit relationships. Like, You know, in my heart, I'm not anti you. I'm not anti cop. I'm not anti law enforcement, but there's clearly something that needs to be changed. And I stand in solidarity with these people. And I, I am in a very interesting space because my husband is black and a lot of my community is black. And then I have family that's in law enforcement and, and, you know, and I know how terrified those 
those families are and how hard it is to perform their job and that there are good officers out there. You know, I know I'm going to be attacked for even saying that, but I was conflicted, but I knew that there's something wrong. There's something wrong in the system. There's um, something is very flawed and, and I am fighting for those things to change. So, 100%. You know, look, I'm trying to abolish, you know, the cops not having the proper training. I'm trying to abolish some the force that the cops are using on unarmed people. I'm trying to mm-hmm. abolish people getting into the police force with not having the proper backgrounds. Yeah. If a, if a woman can't go and be the head of of Teen Vogue because of some nasty tweets that she has said in the past, then you shouldn't be able to be a law enforcement officer and have somebody's life in your hands. 100% agree with that. And that's the motherfucking truth. You know, the funny part about it is, and I say this all the time, and I get into a lot of trouble. As a black gay man, I have been through the fire. I've been through the Mm. fire in the black community for being gay. I've been through the fire in the white community for being black. I've been through the fire in the South Louisiana, being both black and gay. So for me, Mm. I have patience because there were people in my life that loved me, that didn't understand me. And it took some time to explain who I was to them and explain to them why my life doesn't threaten theirs. That's been my whole damn life. Yeah. So I have time and I have the patience. And if I love you and I feel like you truly want to understand where I'm coming from, I will sit here for eight hours and I will talk to you until I'm blue in the face. And until you can leave here and understand my point and understand where I'm coming from with Black Lives Matters, then my job is done. You know, I think we all question something at one point and it's not... We shouldn't be embarrassed about questioning, you know, what we do, because that's what life is about. It's about questioning and then understanding why is it important for me to do this or why is it important for me not to do this? Stick up for what you believe in. And and really, I think I say this all the time. It really does take proximity for people to understand, you know, if you have no relationship or affiliation with a person of color or a person who's black, you're not gonna really understand. You're not going to be able to walk into those shoes or even have those hard conversations, you know, like me having hard conversations with family members was because like, look, I love you and I'm willing to have this conversation. I want you to understand why I'm passionately fighting for this. That's all you can really ask for at the minimum is for someone to really just understand. Yeah, no, it's true. We are walking this walk together, hand in hand, and uh, we will fight these injustices. Where can people go to find resources, to donate their time, to donate money, to donate their voices to this cause? You know, we've been seeing a lot of the same resources. Like, they're so easy to Google right now. But one organization that I really like is called SIPA at SIPA, S-I-P-A, CARES. And this is a nonprofit organization that is based in historic Filipino town. And what I love about what they're doing is that they are talking about organizations that are helping elderly Asian communities who are too afraid to go outside of their homes to even get dinner because they are being attacked. So they are 
providing hot meals. They are telling you where you can go to donate for that. Um, they are posting about mental health resources because right now a lot of people are just so exhausted from trying to educate others or they're, they just don't know how to feel being in their Asian bodies right now. Yeah. So, um, they talk about mental health and they're trying to strengthen the community and they post about, um, you know, protests that are happening and all of these amazing things. So, Please just go follow SEPA Cares and you can read all about the great things that they are doing. And you know what? Shout out to my Asian auntie, because I'm claiming her as my family, who fought off the robber in San Francisco. I mean, how strong was that woman? Hold on. And I just literally read, you guys have got to oh, Google this. She donated. 900 thousand dollars nine hundred thousand dollars after she was brutally attacked to combat racism Erin lim rhodes thank you for coming on my show i love you i'm trying to film. we are on just a zip with Erin lim rhodes you guys thanks for listening and do not forget to subscribe 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 and you can follow me at The Lady Sitter and be sure to come back every week for another pour of your favorite celebrity.